Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Graceology podcast. My name is Jeff New. I'm one of your co-hosts, and I am so glad you're hanging out with us today. Today's episode is an interview between Pastor Chris Jackson of Grace Church of Laverne, marriage and family therapist Carol Montgomery, based out of Laverne, California, and Carol's husband, Neil Montgomery, who has uh, been a pastor for over 30 years and is currently a university professor teaching communication studies at a few local universities and colleges. I invite you to lean into this message. It is part of the sermon series Grace Church of Laverne is going on through the book of Colossians. This particular message has to do with relationships. So lean in, enjoy this interview. If you have any comments or questions or ideas for future podcasts, please be sure to put that in the comments below or message us. You can find our contact information in our podcast description. everyone and welcome back. I hope that you're doing great and uh, I hope that our Holy Week reflections and our Good Friday and our Easter Sunday services were meaningful to you. I thought our staff did an awesome job of putting those together and so thank you to our staff and all of our teams that are putting all of these events and um, resources together. I loved seeing a lot of you in our Good Friday and our Easter Sunday in-person services. Um, it was so special. And I hope that Good Friday and Easter online were something that you could engage with and um, had some strong takeaways uh, from in your life. And let's be praying for all the people that did participate, both online and in person, in those events. Um, Easter, of course, is a special time where people's hearts are a little more open, possibly. And so let's be praying that every person who engaged with us and all the churches in our region, let's, let's be praying that they really would have an encounter with God that, that changes them, that introduces them to destiny and purpose. And also, uh, I hope that you've been giving some thought to how you might participate with us in our Pakistan Hope School fundraiser. Um, I, we did the big pitch last week during the Easter services, but just as a reminder, over the next four weeks, we're collecting uh, a special offering, special financial gift to give to a ministry called Gatebreakers. Um, Gatebreaker Ministries is a group that we've supported for many years. Uh, we just don't talk about them as much. We talk more about AIM and some of our other um, ministries that we partner with, but Gatebreaker has founded and funded 16 schools for slave children in Pakistan. Um, I won't give the whole background here again, but if you want to go to gatebreakers.org, you can learn more about their ministry and what they do. It's, it's amazing how they've reached out to these children that are literally indentured servants. Um, the Pakistani government calls them slave children who uh, live in the brickyards. Uh, Brickmaking is the number one one of the number one national products in Pakistan. And these kids live on the brickyards. They work 10, 12 hours a day. This ministry has started schools for elementary kids, and now they're raising funds to start a secondary school. Gay Breakers has purchased two acres of land in Pakistan, and they're raising $200,000 to um, build a school that will take these kids um, 
what one of the the most proven ways of getting a kid out of a situation like this is education. So I am so pumped that we get to help them with this. So the way we do this here, Grace, is we're doing one of our envelope fundraisers, meaning if everybody participates at a at a modest level, and of course, be as generous as you are inspired to be. But if we all did something, and we have envelopes that are numbered with just $1. So we're asking even for our children, at the very least, to put a dollar, put some allowance money in an envelope. And I think the largest we've gone in our envelopes and online is maybe $500. But if we all did something, we could give a significant offering to not do the whole school necessarily, but at least do um, a big push to, to help them. So how awesome um, it is to be able to support kids that we've never met, um, a lot of us probably will never meet any of them, but we could possibly change their lives. So please be thinking about that. Please um, consider how you can help, and um, I'll keep you posted. But today, we are going to go back to our Colossians series. And as you can see, I have a couple of special guests that are here today. They're going to help me with this. This is Carol Montgomery. And you either know her because she's your therapist, <laughs> and I'll probably I'll just quickly say that um, I make a lot of jokes about that and how many of us at Grace talk to Carol professionally. Carol is ultra confidential. Um, uh, Jessica and I and, and our girls we've told Carol things professionally, and then I've mentioned them to her husband Neil, and Neil's like. I have no clue what you're talking about. I said Carol never violates confidentiality. So, so just in in fun, she might be your therapist, or you've heard me talk about her because I've talked a lot about the famous Carol Montgomery. Um, Carol's a, a, a family um, marriage and family therapist, and she's real. So she's a real person, actually here with us. And. Uh, thank you, Carol, so much for joining me. She's shared with us in the past, and thank you for being here today. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Grace Church, for having me. I, Neil and I have just received so much love and support from you over the years. We just appreciate you so much, and we're very honored to be here. Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, in the past when I've interviewed Carol, I've just talked to Carol, but today I've brought this handsome... <laughs> Not totally clean-shaven young man uh, to join us. This is Neil. Neil is Carol's husband. Um, Neil is a professor at three colleges. But before um, uh, being a professor, he was a pastor for over 30 years. Um, Neil's currently part of our board, and so he's adding that pastoral experience to us at Grace, which we so appreciate. And uh, I'm going to draw on your pastoral experience and course, your counseling experience for the message today. But Neil, thank you. Thanks my, for serving on our board. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. It's been, I've, I've when I would uh, not be at my own church years past, back in the early 90s, mid-90s, I would come to Grace Church quite often on my Sundays off and enjoy the worship and the sermons at Grace. Even before you came, but certainly after you came, uh, I've loved being a part of that. And so when things changed for us, uh, Grace Church was uh, a, a great place to to land, so thank you. And your support over the years has been amazing too. Yeah. So thank you. Oh, that's awesome. I've I loved those those years. I remember first just knowing you were visiting, and then we had lunch a couple times, and we became friends, and then to actually be ministering together is um is pretty special. Uh, it, by the way, are you recovering from the? Kansas City loss in the Super Bowl? No. We're not going to be talking about that today. <laughs> I did finally watch a game uh, or a replay of a game where they actually won. 
So I will not watch that Super Bowl. <laughs> it was an awesome Never. game. It was a great Super Bowl. <laughs> so you're not a Tom Brady fan, huh? I'm or sure he's a nice not, guy. It's not, about, it's not about Tom. It's about your Chiefs. Okay. So here at Grace, we believe that God uses many different ways to bring healing and wholeness in people's lives. And one of those means is counseling or therapy. Counseling is healing with words. And I, I wish that, I wish everybody was readily willing to get counseling. I love the fact that it seems like in our day and age, people are more open than ever to mental health conversations, to the idea of getting counseling. There are still people at times who are a little reticent to talk to a counselor and um, I, we, we don't need to be because if you think about it, we all know how damaging uh, words can be. We all, we all agree about the traumatic side of words. Words can be so so um, deadly to our, our souls. Uh, words like, I hate you, or you'll never amount to anything, or I wish you'd never been born, or I'm leaving you, uh, can devastate us on the inside. In fact, I had a pastor once who, when he was a little boy, his dad used to say to him, if I had all the nickels that I could fit up that giant nose of yours, I'd be a rich man. And he said it to him repeatedly. And so words create worlds. And so we all know the damaging side of words. In fact, in Proverbs 12, 18, it says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. And so since we all agree on the negative side, we should also get on board with the flip side, the positive side. The, the rest of the verse says, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And that's what good counselors do. Good counselors use the ministry of words to create new realities. Um, they bring new perspectives, new ways of looking at a situation so we can get unstuck and ways of framing up our issues so that they're more manageable. Um, and Carol is one of the best at doing this. And both Neil and Carol are awesome. So um, I'm so excited for them to talk to us. Before we move into uh, the text for today, let's do a quick recap of the last couple of messages from this text. Uh, in Colossians 3.12, the Apostle Paul said, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Um, we've already done two full sermons on forgiveness in this series. Um, I did one. Adrian Callies did one. He just got married. I watched his wedding online and uh, gorgeous. Uh, so we've already talked a lot about forgiveness. But could you, from a therapy perspective, can you talk to us about forgiveness? Why is forgiveness so important? And then how do we do it? Because it is so tough to forgive. Okay. Um, yes, and forgiveness, uh, un unforgiveness is one of the issues I think people even come see me about. They don't realize that's even an issue, but it is. So um, so I try to help them and myself wrap my head around the idea that forgiveness is about you and, and God more than it is about that other person, though it does involve that other person. Um, and that um, without forgiving, um, you're really taking up a lot of room inside. Um, you're not as available for the things you want to be available for. You're not able to be as present as you want to be. Um, another piece of it is when it goes unchecked, um, bitterness, resentment grow. That can bleed into other relationships. We become less and less 
more how we want to be or Christ-like as we ruminate in that. It takes up too much time um, and moves us away. So one of the things I really encourage people to do is make it their journey, not the journey of the other person to forgive them. Um, they may need to confront it, although I'm not a, a diehard, you have to confront everything. It may or may not be a good idea to confront it. You have to kind of weigh that out and talk that through. Um, I would say the goal is to get to the point where I can wish you well. I give you to God and I wish you well. And sometimes I have to say that over and over again to someone, I wish you well, I wish you well. That's helping me just let go of it and and forgive. I may never get the, clo the closure I need, quote unquote, and that's okay. Um, I can get that with myself, with God, and it's my journey, not theirs. And, and that's a perfect example of this idea of healing with words, because you said just two things. You said forgiveness is more about me than the person who's wounded me. And then when you said unforgiveness just takes up too much space. So even just talking to a, somebody who can frame up our issues that way, it's so helpful that when I'm carrying unforgiveness, it's consuming a part of me. But um, that, that's that's awesome what you said. That if, if So you tell people, if you get to the place where you can say, I wish you well, and I mean it. And mean it. You have forgiven. Right. It doesn't mean you trust completely again. Mm -hmm. it, does, it doesn't necessarily mean that you make yourself vulnerable to them again. That might not be wise. That okay. might not be wise. So maybe the person you need to forgive is in prison. Okay. You know, I wish you well. I hope you find the Lord there because the world will be a better place if you do. I wish you well. I give you to God. That's good. So how do you get to that place if there is no closure? Uh, some of the most painful things in life are when we've been wronged and they either don't agree, they don't see it, or they just there's no apology forthcoming. One of my favorite tools is to write a letter you don't send. I have a little template for that. So you work through the anger, the hurt, the, the responsibility you might have if, and a lot of times you don't, but sometimes you do, um, and then um, kind of wrap it up. Let it teach you and um, let God teach you through it and move on. Well, in Paul's letter to the Romans, one of my favorite passages in the scriptures, it says, as much as it is up to you, be at peace with all men and women, and which coordinates with what you're saying is we can't control, we can control us and how we're going to behave and react to that other, but we can't determine what they're going to do. So do everything you can on your part, and but then you have to let it, let it go. Good. That's freeing. Do you think there's truth to that kind of often used metaphor that forgiveness is like an onion where you've forgiven layers and you may have worked through an issue at this stage in your life, but then it, you have to go deeper next decade? Or It, it can be, um, especially at different life cycle stages. Things hit you differently and you realize the impact. So that, that would be where I could see that. And so you said people come to you for forgiveness issues, but they don't realize it's a forgiveness issue. Yes. Sometimes they don't realize that's what it is. They're harboring. Maybe there's a depression um, because of something they've been holding. It's taken root. You know, there's bitterness, there's resentment. I, the whole world is now cloudy and, and I'm grumpy and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, maybe I have to forgive my spouse for something. I've been treating that person terribly because I've got this unforgiveness. So you, you just never know what's there until yeah. you look. So in a little while, I want to ask you, what is a, a normal amount of depression for a healthy person to feel? Because we all feel discouragement and anxiety. It doesn't mean you need counseling. It doesn't mean you're clinically depressed. Um, I, I want us to at some point talk about how do we know if we need help. 
but you just said something interesting that unforgiveness can fuel depression. So I've heard that sometimes anger or other things can actually be driving depression. So assuming we're not clinically depressed, where it's not a physiological issue, what are some of the other things that could maybe be feeding into a depression? Um, think like things like unforgiveness. Is that what you're asking? Um, unresolved grief is another one. That's a big one, actually. A lot of people don't realize they are really grieving about something that happened a long time ago and they haven't finished. Um, sometimes it's um, unresolved guilt or regret. Um, and those are things that once you uncover them, you start talking about them, you're so much freer. You feel so much better. Just from talking. Just from talking about it. So yeah. just exposing it, processing it. Mm -hmm. And having the person you're talking to be very present, empathetic, supportive, ask good questions. Um, but sometimes just a sounding board helps. Mm -hmm. Not everything is solved that way, but that's yeah. a great start. Yeah, that's great. Um, do you think that? Do you think that everybody who's gone through a major loss should spend time grieving? Because I do know people, and we have people at Grace who've gone through very tough things, but they're tough people. Yeah. So you just kind of carry on and, and you either get busy and don't revisit the grief or you feel like you're fine or God's healed you. And do you think everybody should do at least a little check-in on that? Or are some people just, they are okay? Well, I think grief is when it talk about something that takes up space inside. Grief really takes up space inside. And I think when the loss first happens, the space is huge. And time does close it up, but you really need to respect it and its power. And I do think uh, it takes time um, and it will get displaced to and come out at the most inopportune times if you don't address it. So I definitely do. I'm a big fan of grief groups. I, uh, most people need to go through them twice um, because it's, sometimes it's so overwhelming. Yeah. But yeah, and again, that's another thing through the lifestyle. Um, cycle stages where you realize, oh, I miss that person so much because I wanted them to be here at this time with me. And so there's, yeah, it's a, um, but it does grow smaller and you learn to adapt. It doesn't really ever go away, but you adapt and move on. Yeah. Yeah. So very true that when, when we have a loss, we not only grieve the loss today, but we, we grieve all of the losses that today's loss will bring. Um, we don't get to experience what we thought we would experience. And, and then, of course, there are people who are going through things like addiction or, or ongoing issues where it's a loss and a grief, but it's not, it's not resolved. It's an ongoing grief. And so a lot of people are living in a state of grief um, versus just grieving something that happened. And, and that's another good visual that that takes up space. Mm -hmm. So so we could stop on any one of these things and talk for an hour, but I want to move us into the text that we want to talk about today, and I want to get into just more general mental health. Neil, if you don't mind, would you read for us today's text? That would be Colossians 3, verses 15 through 17, and then I've got a couple questions for both of you. I sure will. And it says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, seeking psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
Perfect. And, and these are such cheerful verses. When you read these verses, Paul talks about, you know, being, uh, being ruled by peace and a grateful heart. And the internal dialogue of this particular person is psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so it's just kind of a picture of what I would think mental health is. And of course, the Apostle Paul doesn't use that kind of language, but this is a picture of a relatively healthy person. And I don't know that the average person is feeling that today. And Neil, I was curious, what are you seeing with students? Uh, because right now you're working with college kids. And I know, you know, Amanda, our worship leader, is graduating from APU in a couple of weeks, but it's, you know, she did not have the senior year experience she wanted. Um, my Madeline is finishing her freshman year and it's so different than she thought. What What's the posture or, or what, what are you hearing from students right now? Well, it's, it's a different world when you're online versus in the classroom. And I love, I love being with students. Uh, most of my students are college age. I do have some, uh, since I uh, teach also at a community college, some of them, I can't call them kids anymore because they're, some are as old as I am in that class. But for the younger students, it, they're quieter. And maybe that's the technology of being zooming into the classroom, but I'll ask a question and I almost never get an answer. I have one student in each class usually who I can guarantee if I wait out of guilt or frustration, they'll usually pop off an answer or response, but it's quiet. It's quiet out there. And I don't like that. I like being in the presence of the, of the students. So it's, I don't, you know, I don't have an answer because I'm not hearing anything from them. And is that a, Zoom thing? Is that a COVID thing? Is that a this guy's boring thing? <laughs> I don't know, but it's they're very quiet. Yeah, very but even quiet. that even that silence is very telling because yeah, Zoom is awkward, but but it's not supposed to be that way. There's supposed to be bantering and back and forth and the class clown that keeps it interesting right. and and the kid that you have to call on to get them to talk. All of that is part of the experience, and so the lack of that it does take a toll and it has been, it has been tough. How about you, Carol? I know, I know you can't say specifics about people, but generally what, what are you seeing? I mean, I, I, be, I keep reading these little news snippets of how mental health is going off the rails during COVID yeah. and anxiety, depression are spiking. Are you seeing that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And all my colleagues are, I mean, we are packed to the gills, which is good that people are turning to us, but, but sad that, people are turning to us. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, yeah, I, it's, um, I think a phrase I used with you is, um, people's nervous systems are on high alert, um, through this time. They've, we've asked people and children to adapt to so much in such a short time. And then we've had this kind of looming fear element and, and all of it. And it's, it's a really rough time. We've taken away a lot of people's coping strategies for stressors. So it's just a mess. It's just been a mess. And people are hurting. And that would probably have been true of just COVID. Regardless of where people are in terms of how they're viewing the COVID threat, the COVID response, and I realize people are all over the place on how they assess COVID and the response to it. But all of that even being factored in or factored out, just COVID alone would have had this. And then you factor in volatile political times and all of the other upheavals in the world and racial issues and protests. And can you just say one more, say something else about the nervous system being on high alert? That was a graphic statement. Yes. Um, 
the nervous system um, is a God-given gift. And it is, it's, it's primitive. It's always been with us. It's how we've survived because it says danger, danger. And, um, and so we are to attend to that. Our bodies, our minds, our thoughts attend to that and start assessing the threat. And when we don't have the answers or we're inundated with all the stimulus, as, as you were just mentioning, your nervous system needs some time to figure that out. And sometimes we haven't trained it how to do that. And that would be another reason to, to go to counseling to figure that out. So what are the main things that you're seeing? Is it is it anxiety? If if you were to if you were to say the top these are the top three, four things that seem to be prevalent in people's lives. I would say anxiety is probably the biggest thing I am seeing right now. I've seen a huge surge in obsessional thinking and that can accompany depression or anxiety. Um, that's been a surprise to me. So I've been working hard to learn a lot about that and how to help that. But yeah. And it sounds self-explanatory, but what is obsessional thinking? It's where you fix on, fixate on something and around you go. It's like you're on a merry-go-round, you cannot get off. And you keep getting off the horse looking around. What about this? What about this? Well, what if? What if? What if? And you ruminate and circle and circle and circle. And you can't get a break. Um, or if you can, you get back on the merry-go-round shortly again at the next thing. So it's hard. It's painful. It's distracting. It's hard on the people you live with. It's hard on you. It's awful. Yeah. Wow. So I want to ask you, I think at the end, what are some pointers or some tips we can take away with to, to self cure? If we don't Mm -hmm. have, if if you can't see us, if we're not going to see a counselor, what can we do to work on some of these things? But let's talk a little bit more about just, um, what are some of the marks of health? Um, I'll give you a break for a second and shift to you, Neil. What, what, what are the marks of a spiritually healthy person? And then, Carol, I'll ask you that exact same question for a mentally healthy person. But I just want to say I, I hate the dualism in that question because to say, you know, you're the theologian and the pastor, so what's a spiritually healthy person? It kind of separates spiritual health from mental health, and I don't think that's a good thing to do. We we are holistic, integrated people. I'm not just a body who also has a spirit. I'm a spiritually embodied person. If, um, you know, I might be doing great emotionally, but if my back goes out, it affects my emotions. I might be fit and healthy, but if I'm bankrupt internally, it affects it. So I, I don't like the, the dualistic language, but for sake of discussion and for your expertise, w- what is a spiritually healthy person? Well, Carol and I both went to Fuller Theological Seminary back in the 80s. That's so long ago. But one of the things that uh, I appreciated about Fuller is the uh, full integration of the psychology aspects with the spiritual and theological aspects. And I was just reminiscing yesterday, I took courses in pastoral counseling and basic counseling skills and basic counseling skills too and marriage and family counseling. And so all these courses were part of the program of giving you some training on how to be a pastor because that's going to be part of it. And I think Fuller Theological Seminary has been one of the leaders in that area. I think Talbot also does that, but Fuller has been known for that. And so while I was in the, doing my uh, master's, Master of Divinity, Carol was there at the same time doing her uh, uh, master's in, well, it might as well master's in theology, right? Initially, yeah. And, and then, then, it, then it bumped over to psychology, yeah. So we were there doing that mm-hmm. thing. I don't. I think we took one course together on 
systematic theology too, yep. I think. Or were what? you guys, were you sweethearts? Were you dating? Were you married? Yeah, we were dating at that time. I was attending Fuller and then uh, went to a meeting to be in a ministry called Young Life, okay. a high school ministry. Carol was there. We met, started dating. Uh, she says through my influence, that's where she started going to Fuller. It is. So if, I wouldn't have thought of it. If God used me to do that. <laughs> he did. Fantastic. Uh, but uh, so I feel I got some training, and sometimes I think pastors underplay the role they can have, and but then sometimes I think they overplay it, that they become am, what they think are their amateur therapists. Yeah, I'm actually going to come back to that because I want to ask the, what is the difference between pastoral counseling and your kind of counseling, and then just for all of us to know, when do you need one or the other? Because same thing, in two of my degrees, I had to take pastoral counseling classes. Pastoral counseling is a legit form of counseling. There, there have been times you've even told people, I think you need to talk to a pastor, but then you're right, I'm not an amateur or I am an amateur therapist. I'm not. I'm not a professional counselor, so I need to know when to send them to you. But I think right. I think that might help people to know: Do you run to a therapist with every little thing, or when do you start with a pastor? So we'll come back to that. Right. But but Neil, what if someone were to do a self assessment? Because sure. we're going to listen to Carol and figure out: Am I am, am I mentally sound, or am I in trouble? What is spiritual health? Does it mean perfect prayer life? Does it mean doing everything we talked about in connected or? How do you know if you're spiritually well, healthy? Years ago, and this is through books like Rick Warren's, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking out. Uh, Purpose Driven Life. What was it? Purpose Driven Life. Purpose Driven Life and his Purpose Driven Church. A fantastic book that all believers, if you're out there, read Rick Warren, A Purpose Driven Life. It's a fantastic book. And I can't remember if my model came before that or after that or was influenced by it. But I use the word disciple as, uh, so each letter, uh, D stands for, in my model, devoted to a personal relationship with God, that it has to begin with that relationship with God. You can do all these things, but, and you might get some benefits from that, but unless you are grounded in that relationship, a personal relationship with God through faith in Christ, you really can't go anywhere. The I stands for uh, involved in Christian fellowship, that we need other people. We're not in this alone. Okay. So how am I doing in my relationship? Am I attending church? Am I in a small group? Am I hanging out with other believers? Because we need that encouragement. Okay. Uh, the S would be uh, studies the scriptures. Foundational for knowing what does God tell us of how to be, how to live, who we are, who God is, who others are. How does this world function? We need the Word of God. Uh, the C stands for cares about the needs of others. That we not just hang out with people, but we also care, and what can I do to help them and be part of their lives? And, and to be honest, let them in my life to help me when I need help. Uh, D-I-S-C-I uh, invites others to meet the Savior, okay. uh, which is evangelism. Okay. Am I telling them the good news of Jesus? What I have found, you know, another one beggar telling another beggar, uh, beggar where to find bread. Uh, the P, am I spelling it right? P-I-S-C-I, P is praise regularly. So that communication with God and prayer is the avenue of that regular ongoing uh, communication. L, loves to give. Okay. Every pastor wants to hear that, loves to give. <laughs> because giving, uh, and I'm particularly thinking financially, but other ways as well, but financial commitment to 
the, the body of Christ is a part of who we are expected to be. How much did Jesus talk about giving and the New Testament guides us in being generous givers? So D-I-S-C-I-P-L and then E is encourages the Christian household. Whatever your household might be, maybe it's just you as an individual. Maybe it's husband and wife. Maybe it's an extended family. But whatever it might be, am I functioning in that household with others in a way that is building others up? And when we talk, when you were talking earlier about the words that hurt, yeah. sometimes we can foolishly think, say things to our spouse or our kids, and we don't realize how much damage that can do. Yeah. And so are we building up that household? That's so good. Neil, that's awesome. That's, that's, a, that's copyrighted also. <laughs> By you. Because yeah. he said so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's so good. I don't know if it's an acrostic or an acronym, but the disciple with the, the definitions, that's wonderful. And remember, when we're, when we're assessing spiritual health, the, the question is not, are we perfect? It's how are we characterized? When we went through Connected recently as a church, um, you know, it's really stressing spending time every day with God, every every day praying, every day reading scripture, doing the disciplines. And of course, that would be an ideal and a goal. But more than never missing a day, are you characterized as someone who who is devoted to Christ and who's in relationship and who's serving and giving? Um, uh, but that's a great it's a great checklist. So, and there's well, other other things we could say, but let me add one other comment is. These are not on or off kinds of switches. They are more dials in terms of I may be a three in one category and I might be an eight in another. Okay. And so I'm always striving to increase the dial setting. That's good. That I'm getting stronger at my prayer life or I'm reading the scriptures more consistently. So I, this year I went from a four to a five in scripture and a six to a seven in prayer. So monitoring them all and how am I doing in growing in each area of yeah, those. That's so good. And that's consistent with things that we've talked about at Grace over the years that one term for it is sacred pathways. There are different ways of connecting with God. And for some people, worship is their go-to. For others, the scripture is how they sense God. Now, we need worship and we need scripture, but you're right, the dial, that's a great image. So, Carol, what about on the mental health side of things? What is a mentally healthy person? Do you know any mentally healthy people? And if so, what do they look like? I do, but it's not me. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah, there are some people that are super mentally healthy, and yeah. you, you know them when you see them. You feel it. You can feel it. Um, so mental health, like spiritual health, like physical health, it encompasses a lot of things and it affects you, um, psychologically, socially, um, and your emotional well-being, how you think, how you feel, how you react, how you behave. Um, so it's, and it's important in every stage of life. So we can see toddlers, the way they behave, think, act based on how they're emotionally unregulated and learning that to adults acting like toddlers sometimes. <laughs> no. Um, no, we have different stressors in our adult life that we have to negotiate. So um, so just being aware of your mood and your behavior um, is a, all part of it. And um, there's a lot of things that affect that. Biological factors, life experiences, family history, and just being honest and knowing about that. Um, but one of the things I've always correlated with mental health is emotional intelligence. I, it's always been important to me. And there's, there's books on that. Um, but I, my top five on that is 
um, knowing what it is you're feeling. And sometimes your body is the tell in that. Sometimes it's your thoughts. Sometimes it's just some feelings. Um, but it is um, knowing those, getting words, good words to fit those. And then number two is regulating those. So it's not enough to know that I feel terrible. I, I got I to gotta learn how to regulate. It's not enough to know I'm angry. I've got to manage that. Um, and then the, the other three are um, more about other people, too, is um, empathy. Uh, most highly emotionally intelligent people are empathetic and compassionate. They are curious. They're able to step outside themselves and, and they feel well and they're able to be curious about things. They're free inside. So, um, And then the, the other thing is resiliency. And we've learned through COVID how important that one is, especially that when the storms of life come in, we bounce back um, relatively quickly and, um, and we move through them and we adapt. That's so good. Even just the word curious is a great word. Oh, it's my favorite. Because mm -hmm. you, you have to you have to be secure enough to let yourself go, to be curious enough about something else. That's that's a great word. It's a great word. And it's so important, too, when you're doing your own work on yourself. So there's relational mental health and there, there's that kind where you realize, I don't like the way I'm behaving this way. And if you approach yourself critically, it's going to take longer. If you approach yourself curiously, you're going to get some answers and you can work on it better. So I love it. Now, can you go back to one thing you just said, though? You mentioned sometimes when we're trying to become aware of what we're feeling, it's, it's genetic or you said biological, maybe. I, I think sometimes uh, the people can be genetically predisposed to greater levels of happiness. Sometimes people, their baseline naturally is just not as chipper or up. And I think that can be freeing sometimes to know that. Is that yeah, true? We have our temperaments. Absolutely. Okay. We have our temperaments. And then we also have our biology. And so really getting to know ourselves and figuring out which one that is. So the type one diabetic that was always in his DNA and a crisis in his life pushed it through and now he deals with it. A person with OCD, it's in their DNA. A crisis happens, it bumps through, and now it's it's they're going to deal with flare-ups, and they, they've got to work on that. But then there's also the temperament. There's that intense person that feels very deeply, very passionate. And then there's that, that quieter temperament. All of it's good. All of it's needed. All of it's important. Yeah. So how, how, do, we, how do you pursue those things in a stressful time like COVID? Um, you can chime in certainly too, Neil, from your perspective, but with... Um, if, if the goal is to be self-regulating, self-aware, finding ways to not be thinking obsessively in the middle of a time that lends toward all of that, what are you telling people? What's the, uh, I know it's hard to give general counsel without knowing a person's specific details, but what are, what are some general pointers that we can start working on? One of my favorites um, that I've come across this year is to do uh, check-ins with yourself, just just moments where you pause. I know I don't have that cool watch that people have that tells you to breathe, you know, <laughs> all, all those kinds of things. Okay. okay, now you're managing your nervous system in a really healthy way. You're, you're pausing, you're breathing, you're um, saying, wait, how am I doing? Is everything okay? Because your nervous system, again, remember during this time is really on alert and it's really, if you can be kind and curious um, to say, Okay, thanks, nervous system. I've assessed there is no threat. You can go back now <laughs> and, and breathe and enjoy your day and, um, and adapt to what's going on. So, 
So just to take little check-ins, just breathe, everything okay? Yeah, everything's okay. Well, that's kind of good. That's good because in, in our text, in Colossians 3.15, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And the word rule actually is a word that we translate umpire. It means to make the call. And so in this picture here of an emotionally, mentally healthy person, the Apostle Paul said that that the peace of Christ is the umpire, that that's what's deciding where we go, what we do. Um, I was a referee. Did you ever coach any of your kids' stuff? So I I was a soccer referee, and I hated it because parents can be so uptight. um, I hated making the call. You know, if, if... if your kid hits my kid, it's a flagrant foul. But if my kid hits your kid, it's just good, tough soccer. So it's hard to be an umpire. It's hard to be a referee. But but Paul is telling us that the peace of Christ is supposed to 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 rule. So we'll go, let's go back to something I mentioned. Um, what are normal levels of depression? If if I'm trying to to be an umpire and judge, am I healthy? Am I not? I, I feel depressed. I feel anxious. How when does that become unhealthy? How do we know if you're just human, go to take a nap, or how do we know you do need some some help? Okay. So you're asking me, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Either of you, but sure. Okay. Um, one of the words in our vocabulary in my field is adaptive versus maladaptive. And so when something depressing, depressing happens and you feel depressed, that makes sense. So a level... F- I quantify it saying a level five depressing thing. If your reaction is a level five depression, that's an adaptive response to that. And in time, you probably will work through that and you'll be all right. If you're not, you know, we want to look at that. But over time and good friends and um, time with the Lord, you're going to work through that. The maladaptive part is when that number is really different. It's a number five stressor, but I'm responding at a 10. It's wiping me out. So that's, we call that an emotional hijack where, wow, I had a huge reaction. Road rage, I think, is one of those, if I may say that to all of you out there. <laughs> um, where I'm having an overreaction to someone. My, I got scared and I just wanted to take you out, you know, and um, that's an overreaction to something. Um, probably could think of a better example of that. Maybe maybe it's a, a panic attack, a car, a, back, a car backfires and you're just this nervous wreck. Let's, let's look at that or... Someone makes a comment and you just really got nervous about it. Let's take a look at that. That doesn't match the stressor. So, wow. Give us the technical term again, maladaptive. Adaptive versus maladaptive. Adaptive versus maladaptive. Yeah. So if the issue is a two, I should respond like a two or three, not like a eight or a nine. Right. In trauma, we're looking at, let's say, um, back to grief, someone, someone dies. Um, an adaptive response is grief. Yeah. A maladaptive response is anxiety. So that's the one we want to look at. If the anxiety doesn't go away, it scared you, and it's not going away. Now we've got a maladaptive response to that loss, and let's, that's what we need to address. The grief is normal. We've just got to work through that. Or would it, could it also just be the lack of grief if people are stuffing that, emotions? That's that maladaptive. Be, that could be maladaptive as well. Okay. Okay. Um, just real quick, Carol, and then, Neil, I'm going to ask you in just a second for uh, anyone who feels like they might be losing their faith— Uh, As we talk about being spiritually and mentally healthy, I talk to people often who they feel like I'm I'm holding on by a thread to my faith. And that kills me as a pastor because I want us to just increasingly go from strength to strength and feel more convinced of our faith. But I would love for you to talk as a pastor to somebody who feels like 
Um, I'm not that disciple, and I feel like I'm just barely holding on. But just but real quick to put a bow on this this thread for a second. Um, there's a difference between uh, a therapist and a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes people need counseling. Sometimes they need meds. And I talk to a lot of people who, yeah, I'm willing to talk to a counselor, but I don't want to try meds. And I don't know if we can decide here when somebody does or doesn't need meds, but what are some guidelines for you should be talking to somebody right now and you should be doing something more than just talking? Right. So um, it's good to start with talking, I think, to see if there's a way to figure it out that way. It's a great path to go on. Um, but that when I say it's time to check that out, I, I, first of all, like people to get a full blood work because sometimes there's something looming in the blood work that a thyroid issue or a vitamin deficiency or something that can really explain this, um, a, a hormone deficiency. It makes all the sense in the world once we see those labs come back. But for me, medication is when the brain has just gotten too much in this habit and the things we are, it is stubborn and it's not changing. And so that helps us. And we do that for a short course initially um, to see if that teaches the brain how it's supposed to be. But in some people, the brain never learned, that chemical was never working. And so that's when I need help from the psychiatrist or that person needs help from the psychiatrist to figure that out. Sometimes though, again, Neil's pancreas stopped working. <laughs> and, and so he needs this chemical to get it going. And sometimes that's the same. Our mind is full of chemicals. Sometimes they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, and, and we need to help them. That's so good. So um, I was mentioning earlier, there are times when you need to see a therapist and a pastor, and you know, a, a spiritual distance from God can't be fixed with a medication. You've got to get back to God. Um, sometimes you could be praying to God all you want and feel close to God, but if you have a chemical imbalance, you need to cure that. Um, uh, so, so there's a place for both. So I think what I'm hearing you say is if you want to try counseling before meds, try it, but, but don't, don't suffer for a year when right. seeing a, a doctor and getting meds could help you. Um, but, uh, I think we need to kind of land the plane a little bit here. So Neil, um, talk to the person who is saying the peace of Christ is not ruling my heart. I'm struggling. Um, do you have any, any words of hope? Well, I think, I, I wrote, I, you know, I wrote some notes in, in uh, anticipation of uh, meeting when during doing not that much pastoral counseling. It, it still shows up. I still try to be a pastoral counselor to my students and offer wisdom on different things, uh, biblical wisdom. But I always try to listen first to understand where they're coming from because we know that we always we can't always discern the heart, what truly is. God knows a person's true spiritual uh, condition. So we can only work to be good listeners, to try to first understand. So one of the things I try to do first is allow them to tell their story. Help me understand where you're coming from, how God became part of your life, now that it's kind of feeling like it's slipping away. But take me back in your history of... Help me understand when was that significant and how did that become significant and how did it make your life different when you remember back when you felt like you were walking with God. And I try not to assume that they're not believers or 
but I want to take them at their word and then, kind of getting lost in my own uh, thoughts here, but to also acknowledge, I, I think it is not usually a theological issue when people are feeling like their faith is fading, but it's more of a relational issue. It might be hurt. It might be pain. It might be a lack of either can't forgive somebody else or can't, don't feel forgiven. It might be a misunderstanding or an uh, incorrect view of God's truth. What I think of, for example, is that I've ran into several times is people feel like they have committed the unpardonable sin. And, you know, so first you have to look at, well, what does that mean to you? Certainly, what does God's word mean about it in Matthew or 1 John? But, and maybe sometimes just clarification on the issue might help them, give them relief to say, oh, I don't have to walk in that guilt or that shame or that burden of that God certainly can't love me because of what I did. And so even in declaring, as we talked about forgiveness, you know, in the name of Christ, you are forgiven might be a word of relief and release for them to know God doesn't, isn't. I think that's looming over with a big yeah, stick ready to whack. So me. good. So good. I think you, I think you keyed in on some of the, the most important parts there. And that is that, yeah, that there are people who lose their faith because of theology. There are things that just don't make sense. And intellectually, they just can't go there. I think for a lot of people, it's a pain issue. Pain so reorients our world. And when pain seems so different than what we thought God would be, or we thought life and God would be, it just does a number on a person. But I love what you said that in those moments, God hasn't given up on you. And so even if you're just holding on to a, you know, just the shards of your faith, he still has a grip on you. And you, what I hear you saying is God still loves that person. And so um, hold steady, process the pain. And it's, it's not weak faith if you get some help and all of a sudden your faith starts to return. It's kind of like when I've had to see the chiropractor, um, all of a sudden I'm just happier when my back is realigned. Again, it's all, it's all interconnected. And um, I know there's a lot more that could be said. Well, let me throw in one more on yep. this is I also tell them to act as if. Okay. So don't just set everything aside, Christian stuff aside, but while you are in this process, act as if. Pray, go to church, give, serve, do these things, because sometimes the behavior can create a uh, wall to protect us in terms of while we're trying to figure things out mentally, keep doing the behaviors in that it'll keep you in the path and you don't have to start from scratch, just keep on going while you're figuring those things so out. So good. That's a great That's a great word for right now, even with COVID and even with worshiping in church online and staying connected. Um, one way we say that sometimes is that motion creates emotion. So you act as if until the as if feels real. But, but you're saying more than that. You're also saying that it, it's actually faithfulness and faithfulness before God is powerful and that that becomes a protection. And and, um, but if you're in that spot, talk to somebody. That would definitely be a moment to talk to a pastor because you don't want to just go through the motions too long. That's a protection to while you're healing, while you're getting help. Um, if it's too dry and too just disciplined for too long, um, th there's, there's more help that can be given. And 
more life that can be experienced. But do you have any final any final thoughts on anything that we didn't cover that you'd want to say? Um, or one thing you saying? had asked is what if someone's losing heart with life even? And I, yeah. and I just want to say, uh, boy, do I ever get it, you know, with, with all that's been going on and, and just even if COVID wasn't there sometimes and political unrest and all this, um, other, other stressors going on. Um, one thing I want you to know is, is that we understand um, that we really understand life is hard and we somehow have to figure out how to coexist with the good stuff and the bad stuff always ever because this isn't heaven so we have to struggle in that tension and um, if you can think of your life like a book or in a really exciting one um, that this chapter might be really hard and awful but there's more to come and I can tell you in my field, there's so much exciting new stuff coming that is curing depression and is is bringing hope to some of these things that we haven't had before. So hang in there and um, go for it and study it and learn about it and explore and just keep turning the pages. I love it. So good. Sorry to cut our time off here, but um, let's let's end in prayer. Neil, uh, as the pastor, do you always get asked to pray? <laughs> because pretty much, I was people... telling my students that in class yesterday yeah. that there are a lot of things we were talking about impromptu speeches, uh, and I say, if you're a pastor, you better be ready for impromptu, whatever, <laughs> sermons, meditations, yeah. <laughs> reflections, and prayer. Yeah. Uh, but I do want to say one. Just let me do this, and I'll. I, I assume you're going to invite me to close in prayer, okay? But my parents, uh, this is back in the mid-'70s, they were going through some tough times and were looking to divorce and separate and all that. I was about uh, 16 at the time and just kind of stepped out in terms of whatever they were going through. But the place where they went for help was to church, they would have never gone to a therapist. They went to yeah. church, and that saved their marriage. And that did save their marriage. And he became a Christian. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so good. Well, thank you for adding that. And do pray for us. Pray for everybody who's watching. Um, next week, we're going to do this again. I'm just going to interview Carol. We're going to move into the passage uh, in this text where Paul talks about relationships. So we'll talk about uh, marriage, singleness, children, parenting, work relationships. We'll talk about seasons of life, uh, midlife crises, boundaries, some things like that. So I think it'll be really, really helpful. Neil, thank you for being here today and adding your, your um, bent to this. So would you just pray? Sure. We'll, we'll end up Absolutely. here like this. Dear loving God, thank you that you know us inside out because you made us inside out. You know us from our uh, deepest essence to our uh, outward behaviors. Thank you that you care about every aspect, whether it's spiritual, mental, emotional, relational, uh, physiological. You care about all of it, and you have a purpose and a plan of how you want our lives to go. So we pray that we might find people to help in those times of need, of someone to talk to, someone to give direction, someone to give wisdom, someone to remind us of who we are and whose we are. I pray for those who are, are wondering about their faith and are finding uh, they are in shallow waters these days. And I pray that they might find abundance and richness through your word, through uh, church fellowship, through prayer, through doing uh, the things that draw us closer to you. 
Thank you for this time. Thank you for the thoughts that were shared. And may they find home for those who uh, have a readiness and a need to hear them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. God bless y'all. See you next week.